This is a more than just podcast production. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 355 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And I'm also joined by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. All righty. So yeah, we've been away for a bit. Uh, I, I should mention too that this this episode is being brought to you fine folks by Runway or Runway.team. So we'll talk about them in a bit. Yeah, so we have some follow-up items from my last episode with George. Um, the first one is we were talking about, uh, I don't know if you guys are, were following along, but we, we talked about um, AI and how the, um, uh, I forget what the, is it? What's the name of the, the tool that's bringing and going out and scraping in the artworks and, and turning people's uh, images or avatars, creating avatars for people? Is it Stable Diffusion? Stable Diffusion. Did I talk about this on the last um, show, Hami? I don't, I don't recall. Anyway, uh, I found uh, this post probably on... Probably not uh, more than just code, but uh, that's oh, podcast, podcast, I think it came right? up from the artistic side and not the technology side. Yeah. So this kind of right, blends right. Or, or sits in between both worlds. Yeah, right. It was because of the Disney connection I brought it in. Yeah, so so this uh, article or this post that was on uh, Mastodon was pretty funny. It, it's uh, artists are now taking back the uh, they're they're fighting back by rather than complaining or trying to fight against the individual AI companies or how 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 would they possibly fight back? They're using AI to create um, images of Disney and Mario and Spider Man, uh, you know, like Disney or Mickey Mouse with a machine gun kind of thing. Um, to sort of, you know, play with, like, to get the big boys to fight the fight for them rather than um, try and go after individual uh, people creating this stuff. So it's kind of funny that they're using the the big uh, companies to try and fight that stuff. And actually, just, I think, I don't have a link, I'll put a link in the show notes here, but uh, I don't have a link here on the notes, that um, there's a lawsuit, been a class action lawsuit started by artists in the United States to go after um, the the their artwork being used, potentially being used in in these uh, stable diffusion pieces of work, right? Artworks. So that's kind of cool. The other piece that's sort of a follow-up from from a long time uh, back here, every time Apple updates the Apple design resources, I always like to point out that they've that they've been, you know, tuned up or brought up to date. Uh, a couple of minor things they did in January was they, uh, like a couple of weeks ago, they added uh, or updated the, the Photoshop library for creating production templates for like icons and things like that. But what, what I thought was interesting, and they've added a, a keynote to um, the iOS 16 section where you can now uh, create mock-ups for your apps using Keynote, which is uh, kind of cool. I haven't tried it out myself, but that that's a pretty interesting um, use of an everyday tool that people would have at, at their disposal, right? Since we all have Keynote for free anyway, right? Pretty much. Isn't yeah. Keynote free, right, is it these days? Yeah, I it is. So. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. Cool. I'm sort of surprised I don't have anything for figma here it seems to be figma is the figma yeah that's figma. true yeah yeah they have sketch and photoshop yeah there was a joke on uh, on on socials the other day saying or actually just yesterday saying show how old you are by by telling us what your the tool you design tool you used first and like half of the room said figma yeah <laughs> and then one one guy <laughs> says uh, sketch <laughs> he's, he's like he's the old guy in the crowd right of course i had to throw in that i started with illustrator 88 back in 1988 but uh, yeah, that's beside the point. Um, oh, and what I, was I just the wanna... one? What was the one in the nineties? Um, 
a freehand? No, there was it wasn't that one. It was really good because it it was much better at doing 3D stuff than some of the other tools, but it's gone now. It's long uh, gone. You mean uh, like the Macromedia stuff? or no, It, it competed with Macromedia, as I recall. Hmm. Uh, well, it wasn't you mean like just 3D, a 3D render, tool. Like 3D texting and stuff like that? Like yeah, it, like if you, want, if you want to make a drawing and have it like, you know, render, stretch it out to make it look like 3D, pseudo 3D, not real 3D, but yeah, I know what you mean. But yeah, um, it was it was really good for that. I can't remember. I'll have to. Is it like After Effects or anything, anything like that? No, or? no, no. Okay. Hmm. Well, uh, I did the spot cast. I did the spot cast. It has 3D type in it, but I did that by hand in Photoshop. So because I'm old school, and by hand in Photoshop, that's kind of an ironic way to say it too. It's like uh, it's like the flat Earth people, you know, say they have membership all around the globe. But um, I'll let that sink in for a minute. Um, I just want to get your opinions because we haven't been on the show since all this stable diffusion and um, chat GPT came out. And I just want to get a sort of a, you know, idea what you guys are thinking about chat GPT. I, I assume you've seen some of the code samples that's been created and um, you can get it to write you an essay and that kind of stuff. Uh, I, don't, I don't have a real strong opinion on it. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's pretty cool. Um, it actually works remarkably well for a lot of things uh for generating text i've never seen code that it generated i've never looked at that uh but um yeah i mean it, it's it's sort of not surprising that it's gotten to this point right it's uh you know uh, natural language processing has come an enormously long way so you just couple that with a with with a, some neural networks under the hood and and you got it right so i'm not yeah. surprised that's kind of cool is it going to change the world? Maybe. I don't know. Well, it's interesting. Like, I mean, I've played around with it a bit for writing code, and I know that when you write code with, with the tool, you know, you, you'll ask it to build you a login screen or something like that or, or you know, deal with some, some kind of thing. It'll do, like, sort of the basic approach, right? And if you want to tune it, you have to tell it, okay, let's do it with this. And, like, it's almost like you have to instruct it to get a little bit more complicated or, or get more complex or, or handle you know, more sophisticated things before it'll start writing you a really sophisticated piece of programming, right? Um, and, but yeah, it's cool. I've seen it do Python. I've seen it do Swift. You know, I've I've tried it out with Swift a few times, and there's a lot of, you know, videos online from people trying it out. But one, one interesting thing I saw the, just yesterday again was um, somebody had taken a, a, a Swift, some Swift code that they had written and passed it into ChatGPT and said, write the comments for the what this code is doing. And it added the comments into the into the, the into the, the block to show where what the actual parts of the, you know what the for loop was doing and what the you know general idea behind the, the method was right I thought it was kind of a, that's an that's interesting cool. use of it yeah that's pretty cool yeah so I want to do the ad read thing so we can talk about uh, our sponsor Runway is a platform that helps your mobile team automate and collaborate on app releases top mobile teams are using Runway to offload manual busy work get on the same page during release cycles, increasing app quality, and allowing the team to get back on to great building great apps. By integrating all the tools that you already use, Runway gives your entire mobile team a single source of truth. That's one place to review and sign off on work, automate releases end-to-end, track release health and stability, and get a complete overview of how your team is performing from release to release. Runway's at-a-glance transparency and helpful alerting makes mobile release process smoother and easier to manage, from kickoff to submission to release and everything in between. 
Put your release train on autopilot and take the guesswork out of shipping updates so your team can get their work into the user's hands more quickly and confidently. More than just coder listeners can get an extended trial of Runway's powerful business plan. To get started, head to runway.team slash mtjc. And that's cool. So I took this uh, for a test drive um, last last month. And, uh, you know, as we work at, at uh, where I work currently, we, we use a lot of the tools that, that, are in, that you can integrate into um, into the tool, like we have, we use BitRise for our CI/CD, and I you know we have um, Sentry for monitoring, and you know we use GitHub. Um, and what else do we have in here that uh, we integrate with? Uh, we have we use Mixpanel and Google Analytics for Android folks. Uh, we use you know feature flags with Optimizely, um, and it's well Bit BitRise. And so it, what, when you go into the Runway Control Panel, you see all these various things, and you connect all your accounts, including your Apple account and your Tesla account. And then um, uh, basically, when you when you do a build or when you do a release, it automates through basically automates all these different processes, runs through to you know sends errors to to Sentry so you can follow up on them and that kind of stuff. And Kind of a cool, cool little uh, one sort of, uh, Jaime was mentioning earlier, like it's kind of a one control panel place to sort of set up all the things. And you, don't have to, you, don't have to, you can opt in and out of different things. Like if you QA is using TestRail, for example, you can use TestRail, right? And you can integrate with things like Jira and Slack and stuff like that so that you can have the automated notifications and ticket managing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I was thinking about it as sort of an analogy to like slack so a lot of folks think that like salesforce bought slack for something like 27 billion dollars because it's a neat chat app with cool emoji and i'm sure that's some tiny sliver of that but really i think the reason slack was worth so much uh as an acquisition target was because it's increasingly like the way that you run your operations of your business. And I think that this tool certainly feels a lot like that too, looking at all the sort of integrations that it does with, um, you know, with Slack, with GitHub or GitLab, with BitRise, uh, with, um, you know, other things like Jira or Google Google Play. Yeah. Yeah. So it it increasingly becomes an easy way to answer sort of self-service all the the questions that people might have compliance might want to know, Hey, did we get, you know, the new EULA agreement in there and they can look in the face. Oh, yours. There it is. Cool. Compliance signs off on its part without somebody having to be the release manager or release marshal and like go rounding up all the cats. Right. And you can have from what I see here in their material, like things like, Oh, um, the partial rollout has some interesting bugs that came up. All right, cool. Bug snag is grabbing stuff. And we're trying to see, does this hit thresholds that should roll back the release and just automate away a lot of the things that you would have to spend a lot of, of time on. And especially when you get to a larger team, it becomes a lot more problematic to keep that all in sync. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like Sentry, Bug Snack, Firebase is also integrated into it as well. Like, you, I mean, you can integrate into it. So it's cool. Like it's it's um like I said, we use a lot of these tools. I, I was fortunate to join the team, and a lot of the stuff, all this automation has already been configured. But you know, if I was starting from scratch, it would be a great place to sort of give it a shot. So anyway, like I think the standard trial is a month for free. But uh, as you can see, they're giving our listeners an extended extended trial. So you know, if you're interested in in looking into what it will, will do for you, 
give it a shot. You know, sign up, get a get a trial going. Anyway, the reason why we got together today is um, Apple did another one of their sort of stealthy, uh, we were calling it a keynote, doing air quotes, um, yesterday to introduce the new, well, the new Mac, uh, M2 Pro and M2 Max uh, processors, um, which are, they had the M2 out last year, last fall, for, and they put it into the MacBook Air, and they put it into the Mac Mini, no, not Mac Mini, MacBook 13 Pro, and um, so now they've got the, and you know, the Mac Mini, I read something the other day that the Mac Mini hasn't really been updated in a while, but I thought the Mac Mini was part of the first M1s as well. But uh, Yeah, I have one of those. Yeah, so the M2 Pro and M2 Maxes are now available in the Mac Mini configuration, and as well, they also brought out the, um, the new uh, MacBook Pro 14 and 16s. So you have you have an M1. I had I had the the demo, the test one that was it was I think it wasn't using an M1 chip. It was an Apple Silicon ASIC A13, I think, uh, when they first announced them the Apple Silicon chips for Macs. So if you have an M1, what do you think about it? Oh, I've been using it since I got it, which has now been at least a couple of years now, uh, and it works fine. The truth is, I don't do a lot of heavy duty stuff on my home machine these days. Uh, you know, I have a work machine, which is an, an M1 Max laptop for work stuff. So I use it really just for <laughs> surfing the web and reading email. That's about it. But it's perfectly fine for that. Works great. Boots up fast. Still, I still get a couple of weird little glitchy things that happen every once in a while. Like I've always had problems. Like I use a, uh, as you know, I use a Bluetooth keyboard and, and trackpad. And it's it's been doing this since day one every once in a while and i don't i don't know what the pattern is but everyone once in a while just i won't be able to click on the trackpad it just stops i can i can you know move around i can scan with the move the cursor around so it's detecting things and it's connected but it just doesn't register taps or clicks or anything and the only way hmm. i can fix that is to reboot really like there's no like i guess the bluetooth just shuts down or whatever right like yeah yeah well no i mean it, no the bluetooth is is okay because i can pan around i can move the cursor oh okay right, right it just doesn't register taps or clicks don't know what that is yeah it's weird i i, I kind of have a similar thing happening on on my my phone sometimes like i'll I'll go to tap something and it just kind of sits there for a minute it's almost like there's something blocking my process blocking or something like that eh? like yeah yeah, and Jaime, are you, are you using silicone these days, or no? I'm still hanging on to the uh, Intel MacBook Pro that I have. Um, but these are, uh, you know, these are looking pretty interesting. Like they got the weird spec bump treatment, and I guess on on paper they are. But um, this just helps the proliferation of the M2 and all of Apple Silicon. Where I think is it just the Mac Pro that's left as the outlier? Yeah, actually, yep. yeah, I think it's the only Intel machine on that right now, right? The the cheese grater one you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's funny. Greg and I saw the studio, the new studio. What's it called? I think it's Mac Studio. What do they call the new one with the little heat sink on the back? Greg and I went to the Apple Store here in Toronto when he was here for the holidays. All right, let's talk about let's talk about the uh, the the M2 and the M2 Pro, and then we'll dig into the the Mini as it got both of these in there. So. Apple in there did a little sort of keynote uh, presentation. They didn't talk much about, and they tend not to do this about all the you know the sort of significant things in it. Um, but this, uh, um, actually, I'm just looking at the M2. So the wait a minute, the M2 is in the um, is M2 in the mini? 
I've got, I think so. I've got a couple it's of shots. No, they, no, they have two pros in the mini, isn't it? Oh, yes, you're right. I'm just kind of scrubbing through yeah. the YouTube. So I've got a screen here for the M2, so let's talk about that real quick. So that's up to 24 gigabytes of memory. It gets the high-performance high media engine. I'm reading off the slide I sent you guys yesterday. 40% faster neural engine, faster than what? I don't know. Guess the M1, I guess. Uh, it's funny that they, they compared all their, their stats against the M1. Um, 15.8 trillion operations per second, 16-core neural engine, 8-core uh, eight eight uh, CPU, and up to 10-core GPU, um, giving it 18% faster CPU, 35% faster F GPU, 50% 50 more band, memory bandwidth, 100, 100, megabit, 100 gigabits per second memory bandwidth, and 20 billion transistors, right? And can support a, a 6K external display, which is the, the high-res, the pro high-res, right? Or the what, XDR. Um, but the M2, um, I just don't know what it, uh, it supports. I'm Thunderbolt 4. This one's up to 32 gigs of, of memory, 20% um, faster CPU, uh, and 30% faster GPU, 12-core CPU, 19, and they, they in the... In the um, uh video they explain that uh, eight of those cores are um like uh, sort of main ones and then there's a faster I forget what they call the faster uh, cores that are in the cpu they've got four of those in there making a total of 12 um a 19 core gpu again the five nanometer technology which we talk about all the time um and the pro oh, sorry then, then the max kicks it up to um uh, six, 96 gigabytes of memory. This is quite a significant amount of memory it handles. 12-core GPU, 38-core GPU, uh, 400 mega, gigabits per second memory bandwidth. That's, I assume that's pretty quick, eh, Mark? And uh, 67 billion transistors. So quite a quite a hefty hefty jump in terms of um, capability and speed, right? But how much faster does it really feel when you use it? That's the real question. These are just numbers, you know, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> No, I know, I, and 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 it's like you know the the little commercial they showed uh, in the video is just so like it's so fast I can scrub like in real time and um, yeah it's hard to hard to say what what you really compare these things to right um, I guess if you're rendering you know the game engine kind of stuff it might make a difference right or video or high res video that kind of stuff but I mean supporting up to eight like the mini as an example says it can support up to eight K um, video. Um, through HDMI, which is pretty impressive, right? Can support up to three displays. Now, I think the one you, Mark, have now, do you know how many monitors it'll support off the top of your head? Uh, wasn't there something about it? It could only support one external monitor? Yeah, I recall that being, well, that was the case yeah, with the little, yeah. the, the developer machine, right? It only supported one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that was yeah. a limit of, of M1. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, I don't, I haven't tried plugging in more than one monitor so i don't really know yeah and looking at the back of the mini it looks like it still has four uh thunderbolt ports the USB-C ports um it has ethernet built in which is nice and uh hdmi and it also has two USB A ports i guess you know it's it funny has four about USB-C ports that's that's an improvement oh two. two. Oh, sorry USB-C okay. four yeah four thunderbolt ports oh that's nice I've, I've only got two on mine i've got two USB-C and two USB A. Right. And then you have which, an HDMI which can be well. kind of limiting. Do you have optical yeah. load on that? Well, I guess it wouldn't matter if you have optical on that one. But uh, you do have HDMI, right? Uh, I'm trying to feel around in the, the back of it here. Let me. <laughs> it's where your monitor It's not a laptop. In. It's hard to turn uh, around. Yeah. 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 I don't know when you're on the show. I think I'll get HDMI. Yeah. I think so. 
Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure you do, because I, I recall running my mini off my TV in my, in my family room here. Um, yeah, so quite an impressive little piece of machinery. I mean, especially if you're going to use it for a build machine or something like that, right? Um, uh, and you can, put, you can put the M2 Pro... Well, sorry, this one, the Mini can come with the M2. That's why I had the M2 slide. The Mini can come with M2 or M2 Pro, right? It doesn't do the Max. The Max is going to go into the, only into the 14 and 16. Right. That's a high-end one. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, what do you think, Kami? I mean, it seems pretty snazzy. I'm still kind of weirded out by the 19-core GPU. So the, the uneven number <laughs> is weird that it's not 18 and it's not 20. I don't know what sort of um, binning practices go into uh, this sort of thing, but I'm sure there's a good reason that it's in an uneven number that's an odd number yeah it's weird looking at the looking at i guess maybe maybe it be, been how the chip laid out because um if you look at the little graphic they got here they it's literally like it's like 10 gpus on the top row and then nine on the bottom row maybe maybe it just sort of bumped into the, the way they laid out the chip you know i feel like the m2 max answers my question even though it's still kind of a very strange number um, so by comparison, the M2 Max has up to a 38-core GPU, so that would be precisely double the 19. It's still kind of a strange number, um, so I guess I guess that's uh, how that ends up working. Yeah, you know, this is weird. I'm looking at this... Um, so you know we're always talking about there's too many iPads <laughs> to choose from? There are now too many Macs to choose from. Um, like, I'm just looking at the... I went to the comparison page, and if you, if you click on the little pull-down menu, you've got... MacBook Air M2, MacBook Air M1, MacBook Pro 13 M2, MacBook 14 M2 Pro and M2 Max, and you've got the MacBook Pro 16 M2 Pro M2 Max. Then you've got desktop machines, which are the the iMac M1 with two ports, iMac M1 with four ports, a Mac Mini M2 or M2 Pro, the Mac Studio, which is M1 Max or M1 Ultra, which forgot about the, oh yeah, the Studio still M1s, right? Uh, not M2s, and uh, the MacBook Pro, sorry, the Mac Pro Intel, which we talked about. And then there's more laptops on top of that. There's like a couple of Intel machines. Is this current? This can't be current machines. No, what, uh, where are you looking? I'm looking at Apple's website. I don't see any of that. Uh, if you go to the comparison page, right? You know, if you go to compare Mac models, go to under Mac and then go to compare Mac models. Yeah. And if you click on the one, if you, you got the three Macs across the top, and if you click on the pull-down menu at the top, or, I mean, where you select the, the models you want to compare. I'm still looking for the... So they have the current... The current Macs are the five that they... That I, or the current laptops are the five that I mentioned, and then there's five current desktops. And then they've got more, I guess, more Macs in there for comparison basis, right? Oh, I see it now. Okay. Oh, you do? <clears throat> well, well our parts I'll, share it, I'll share it so high we can see. Yeah. See all models. Okay. So these are, these are the five um, current laptops. Right, and then those are the five current desktops, and then but then they've got all these other. I guess these other. These are recently. You would have recently purchased some of these devices, right? Um, so which one do you have now? Currently, Jaime, you have a, a fourteen or a sixteen. Or? About this Mac. About this Mac says, oh, it looks different in uh, Ventura. The MacBook Pro, sixteen inch from two thousand nineteen. But that's what an Intel. Yes, it's running a 2.6 gigahertz six-core Intel Core i7. Yeah, interesting. Oh, so there's a yeah t- MacBook Pro 16. Uh, is it 2019? You said 2019. That's probably 
probably mine. That yeah. You can okay. Buy so we can we can make a comparison between Jaime's lame computer <laughs> and the new one. <laughs> About to go to a farm the, uh, upstate kind of computer, right? Yeah. So there, there's your there's your comparison there. So yeah. Yeah, but you want to see the 19 one. That's one that really. Wait! Don't compare good. to the 16 inch M1 Pro. That's not the current one, is it? No. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you're right. M2. Yeah. So you got your uh, your lowly Core 9, i9 <laughs> Intel processor. Remember when those were like the hottest thing on the planet? Um, hmm. You have a separate GPU, like a separate chip, right? Mm-hmm. You only get the 11 hours of battery life. How do you live with that? Huh? You could go up to 96 gigs on uh, on the RAM. Do you see that? And you what, can only 64, 64 is right? what mine has. Yeah. Um, and then it looks like this maxes out at uh, 96, up to 8 terabytes of storage. So looking at this here, now granted, my current laptop, you know, has had wear and tear on the battery, so it's not going to get that 11 hours that they're talking about. I don't think it ever but got 11 hours, to be honest with you. If it was, yeah. you know, brand spanking new, uh, it hypothetically doubled the battery life there in the way that they're testing this. So that's pretty neat. But you have a touch bar too, right? Right? I do have a touch bar. That's right. Yeah. Oh, so that reduces the comparison value for your machine then, Jaime. <laughs> <laughs> Depends gonna, on your opinion. That's like right. your opinion, man. That is yeah. my opinion. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I, I happen to like the touch bar. I miss it on my uh, my device. Mind you, it's funny. As much as I miss it, I don't really miss it. You know, like I still have it. Carol's machine still has the touch bar, right? But if I really, really um, feel just, I need to use it. Just wait for the new touchscreen Macs that are rumored. Next yeah, year well, we'll see. We'll see how tired my arm will be, according to Steve Jobs, right? I was in the Best Buy before, at Christmas time, and I noticed that the 13-inch M2, right? The 13-inch Pro M2 still has a track, pa- track bar. It only has two ports on one side, but it still has a track bar. It's the only it's huh. the only Mac out there right now that has a track bar. And it's an M2? It's an M2. Wow. It just updated, like, just updated, uh, what, um few months ago right in the fall huh. yeah weird eh like the m1 air and the m and the so the m the macbook air is now an m2 and the macbook pro 13 is also an m it's like sort of a consumer level pro machine you know it's kind of a weird um weird device because it sits in that sort of and it has a fan too whereas the, the air doesn't have a fan right huh. i'm watching a video about a guy putting in thermal those thermal pads uh, inside an air to dissipate some of the heat on the bottom case, you know, because like, apparently the the processor throttles when it gets hot, you know. Huh. Yeah. So if you if you use the you know the thermal shielding or a thermal, I don't know, it's like a pad or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's a heat sink basically. Yeah. Like yeah. It just transfers it to to the bottom case, and then uh, then the device can run faster or longer, kind of thing. I guess. Let's dig into the into the MacBook Pros, uh, the fourteen and the sixteen, right? Oh, uh, we've got HD, uh, HDMI port uh, again. Thunderbolt. I think these only have three Thunderbolts. Like my my 16 inch um, only has three. It has the MagSafe, right? Uh, and the Thunderbolts. And to be honest with you, like I use the MagSafe here on my desk, but when I'm traveling, I don't take the MagSafe charger with me. I just bring a regular USB, you know, charger, USB C oh, charger, right? Yeah. So because you can charge the Mac from any 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 USB port, right? USB C port. So. Yeah. Wait, what do you have for work, Mark? Is it a 16-inch? I have a 16-inch um, uh, Max, M1 Max. Yeah. Yeah, same as me. I, I bring the I bring the uh, MagSafe with me. I mean, as you know, as a USB charger, any lighter weight, 
I I bought myself a like Anchor makes one, and I bought a small one off of um, off of Amazon, and it's basically got two USB Cs. It's a 60, 65 watt charger, uh-huh. two USB Cs, and a USB A, so I can charge all the things mm. when I'm traveling. Right? Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, like you know, if you've got more than one thing plugged in, obviously it doesn't crank out. 65 watts per port but still it's it's strong enough to charge my my um my mac and my ipad because i've also got the intel ipad right just USB-C as well um yeah so that's that's cool and plus now i've got the you know the watch and the like i've got the ultra watch much i don't know if i told you that mark but um but i also everything everything's USB-C pretty much um on the, except your iPhone. the house. except my iphone well it uses magsafe and the magsafe is USB-C, right? Well. Yeah, and you, I mean, you could always you could get a USB C to Lightning cable if you wanted to, but it's yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got those too. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, like you know, it, you remember the Air Power? I have. We, Carol and I both got the um, the new charger thing that has like it has like a watch uh, pops up for the watch, and then it's also got a MagSafe on it, and it plugs in with a Lightning cable. This is for an Apple product, and it's it basically charges those two. The only thing it doesn't charge is is if I had AirPods, which I don't have, right? So, but it's it's pretty much i guess the the equivalent of uh, the air power like the air power was supposed to be able to charge no matter where you put things down right wasn't that the, the magic behind it yeah it was the a, problem it was a giant pad you just put stuff down on top of it and it would charge it yeah yeah mm-hmm. so one thing i thought was cool about this this the 14 inch and the 16 is they both have xdr displays now right um I had heard a couple of days ago, last week or so, that somebody was thinking it might be a mini mini OLED or mini mini LED on these devices, but these are liquid retina display XDR, so the same quality as the big Pro monitor, right? Hmm. The the ones they came out with last year and and the Pro Pro Display XDR. What's XDR? Extended Dynamic Range? Is that what that stands for? I think you nailed it. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And studio quality microphone. Yeah, I think. Um, the newer laptops ended up getting a better camera after people complaining for such a long time, right? And I think they got better oh, yeah? microphones, too. Um, I didn't see in this video covering the new laptops. Uh, I don't remember specifically what, if anything, they said, but wouldn't surprise me that they would use the same better hardware across the board for their laptops. Yeah, they had, because uh, I know that on the on the iMacs, they came up with better cameras, right? Because of the whole working from home thing, right? That was one of the things I talked. We talked about last time, right? When we covered that camera. Here you go. I uh, had 1080p FaceTime HD camera. Let me, let me pull up one of the iMacs here so we can see what, compare it to that in the fancy schmancy iMacs. But look, they only have M1s. How lame is that? <laughs> yeah. So same camera that went into the uh, into the new iMacs. Yeah, you're right. Tell me about that. And built-in Dolby Atmos and spatial audio with dynamic head tracking. Oh, when using AirPods. What? Why would that matter <laughs> that's weird eh why, why would the why would spatial audio with dynamic head tracking when using airpods third generation matter when you're using a laptop i guess it's got some sort of way of telling where your head is relative to the screen yeah I think, I think it's thinking. using one of those uh is it u1 w1 chips I yes which one. yeah it's a u u something chip yeah you're right that was in the spec i saw somewhere and it's also got the wi-fi 6e which is new right and I heard that, uh, I was reading somewhere that um, Wi-Fi 6E, not every application will support that protocol. Did you heard that? It's all news to you guys, right? If it's Wi-Fi, why should the application have anything to do with it? That's at the... I don't know. That's just one of the things I read. I, I, I could go back and read the article and see, but 
That sounds a little strange. I mean, anything's possible, but that sounds a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. It looks pretty cool. Oh, eight, eight terabyte S- SSD drive there, Jaime. How about that? You could have all, all your Pokemons in one place and download all those streaming shows you're watching, right? I don't recall what I have. I think I have a one terabyte. What I've got. Yeah, I, I bought a two and regretted it. I have a one in my air now. Yeah, one one terabyte here. So yeah, so the power supply is a sixty-seven watt USB C on the on the fourteen. It's a hundred and forty watt USB C power supply power adapter on the um, sixteen inch. Interesting. You can heat up your coffee with that real quick. So I, I'm I guess you know typical go around the table. Are you looking to upgrade your Mac Mini Mark to the M two Pro? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. I don't remember, but we talked about this when I first got the the Mac Mini, that my strategy was to get a Mac Mini when they first came out so I could get an M1 chip and then hold on to it until the laptops came out. And then I would get a laptop because I was replacing a laptop. Uh, And uh, once I got the laptop, then I just use the, you know, the mini as a server or something like that. And the pandemic happened, and it and I pretty much never had a need to take my laptop, take a laptop, and go anywhere. So, uh, so I'm still using that Mac Mini. So now the question is: Well, first of all, do I need to update? I'm not actually 100% sure I need to update at this point. But if I did, would I go for a laptop again, or would I go for another Mini? That's it's a good question. I don't know. I don't really have a lot of need for a laptop these days. Yeah, but if you were like going, if you wanted to go work in a coffee shop or go for a burrito or something like that, like, wouldn't it be nice to have? Would you would you take your laptop, or you just wouldn't take your laptop to work? Or well, to I just wouldn't out? take my laptop. But you know, I'll, even when I travel these days, I don't take my laptop because I, I generally just take an iPad, and I can. I mean, I can't write code, obviously. Uh, I can't do real work. But if I'm traveling for business, then that's one thing. Yeah, but if I'm just traveling for for personal stuff, um, I don't even bring. I don't bring my laptop. I just bring an iPad. So, yeah, it's a good question. How about you, Jaime? Are you are you ready to make the jump, or you don't need a laptop either these days? I don't need a laptop at the moment. And the the nice thing is that you know there's fewer occasions of people complaining about specific developer tools not working. I think the vast majority of that is in the rearview mirror for people jumping over Apple Silicon. So. I think, as I probably said, when the first Silicon Max came out, I said, well, I can I can afford to to wait it out for uh, for father time to win, where I eventually just gracefully upgrade to a new Apple M whatever uh, that's available that year. And all my developer tools work without any messing around with anything. Now, one thing to consider, this is not a big deal for me, but it might be for you, Jaime, or maybe for others, is that apparently, I didn't even think of this, but apparently a lot of, a lot of games, when, when the Macs were on the Intel chip, it was very easy to just take the Windows version of the game and port it over because it was all running on the same chip, and they're all the, a lot of the developer tools just worked naturally. Uh, and it was very, you know, like I said, it was very easy to port. But now that we're on the M1, they have to go back to running it in some kind of unless they rewrite the the code they have to they have to uh run it in some kind of emulator mode they have to run it in what was it Rosetta or, or something and so even with the super fast apple silicon you don't necessarily get the best you get as good gaming performance as you might have on an older generation intel have you heard about this i haven't and i've 
migrated to mostly a combo of um, games that you know eventually made their way to the Mac and are are natively mm-hmm. running on the laptop, or to uh, streaming services that bypass all of that at the expense of you know if your internet's bad, you're going to have a bad time. But I have not, unfortunately, kept up to date with what you're talking about. Mm. Okay, but speak, speaking of real-time follow-up, Mark, I found the article I was talking about, and I'm just looking at it here, and it, there's a um, a post here that says, you know, changes are needed in macOS uh, and its framework for third-party apps that take advantage of the new 6E Wi-Fi interface. It says, hoping I'm hoping Apple will make those changes soon. So it doesn't specifically say what apps per se, but I guess it's ones that tap into the... And it doesn't say... Uh, hold on. Framework? Don't scroll so fast. I'm trying to read what you right. here. How about that uh, Last of Us show, Jaime? Oh, <laughs> yeah, uh, pretty pretty good. Definitely a reason to uh, continue your HBO Max subscription if you still got it. <laughs> Wait, what show are you talking about? The last, the last of Us just started. Oh, so I went and downloaded the game for PS4, and then of course I had no room on my drive, so I had to upgrade the drive inside my PS4, and then it took five hours to download the game. It's like, you know took me like a day to just to get Wait, to play. what are you guys talking about? What game? The Last of Us. The Last of Us TV show is based on a game called The Last of Us from 2014. Oh, I see. Okay. So let's get back to the, the matter in hand. What, what, yeah, did I you mean, figure I, out yeah, I can't really t- get anything out of this article, uh, but my, I guess that, you know, you need to have some kind of, uh, some different API in, in order to get the, get yeah. access to the, to the, to the 6C. And well, that is this guy, the guy from in, the guy from Intuibits, the co-founder and developer Adrian Grandos. Um, says that, you know, he has a Wi-Fi advantage of that. Um, so, yeah, yes, yeah, he's got the Wi-Fi Explorer app, which is basically something that checks your your local local machine local, local network, right? So he is, his specific tool is for networking, right, or for examining your networking. So that may be he may be finding that that his current. Uh, um, execution or implementation isn't uh, savvy with the new chips, new Wi-Fi chip. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, it's not going to affect Photoshop per se, right? Or you know, Xcode, let's say, like that. Right. So, so the question then is, if you are just making a NS session, right, NS URL session call in the normal way, yeah. Uh, yeah. does that work with this new Wi-Fi? I would think it would have to, right? But, but maybe what he's, yeah, as he said, what he's talking about, if he, if he's, if he has a like a network analysis tool, uh, he might be using some real low level under the hood APIs that get special info that, that just isn't available because there isn't no API for it yet. And that's different than some application just making a standard network call through iOS or, well, not iOS, but Mac OS, uh, and, and, uh, and piping through the network layer. Yeah. I don't know. Can't really tell from, from that article at least. Interesting question, though. Yeah, I'm going to share my screen here. So I just pulled, I just pulled up Apple's press announcement about the new chips to see if we can glean anything significant from there. Because, like, I, like I said, the keynote thing was very sort of high level. Didn't really delve into too much, right? So these are the Apple system on the chip, uh, Apple Silicon uh, designs, right? They're just you know saying more GPU, more memory, more unified memory. And I assume these are going to all be the same sort of idea where you you. The configuration you buy is a configuration you you live with until you buy a new Mac, right? Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I just flip through the three configurations. Yeah, I mean, especially given that the the chips aren't even the same 
shape, right? It's not likely that you could just, if you wanted to upgrade and get your soldering iron out and unsolder the chip yeah. and yeah. drop a new one in. You well, can't do that. You can't do that anymore. No more of the days where you could, you could, if you had an old Mac and you wanted to extend the lifetime for another couple of years, you could just order an upgraded chip and just pop it in. I'm sure you did that, Tim, back in the day. Uh, well, I did do, I, I used to use, um, I had, I think the, uh, power PC days, right. And when they went to, when G3 came out, I think you could add, uh, if you had a 6,100, you could add a newer, like from the yeah. company, newer tech. You yeah, could add yeah, a, exactly. G, I yeah. think I, I have one, a G, I have a G3 board and I plug it into my, into that Mac and then suddenly it's a G3, right? It was, it was OWC, wasn't it? One world computing. They were, they owned newer tech. Oh, they own them now. Yeah. Yeah. Did they own them back then? I don't. Or they, I think they bought them. I know they own them now, right? Because you can still buy some of that stuff from them on the OWC site, right? You can still buy some of that that product. I thought they went out of business. Uh, oh, here's an interesting. Maybe, uh, here's an interesting uh, interesting metric here. They Apple's on Apple's press announcement. They've got code compiling in Xcode as a metric between the machines. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, the M M2 Pro mm-hmm. on the 16 inch is. 2.5 times faster than Jaime's Core i Core i9 <laughs> MacBook Pro, and it's 25 percent faster than than uh, the M1. Yeah. So I mean, so that's that's good, and that's nice and all. But is 25 percent faster enough to really make a difference? You know, when when our builds, well, you know, I guess it depends how long your builds are. Um, but and if you're if you're using this for like a uh, like a CI machine where it's constantly churning through builds, then yeah, maybe that makes sense. But if you're just a developer sitting at your own machine, it's still annoying to wait instead of you know four minutes to wait three minutes <laughs> for a build well, to finish. And also, when know. Jaime's trying when Jaime's trying to decide between using a for loop and a for each, is like is this going to mm-hmm. make him two point five percent faster? <laughs> two point five times faster today? No. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, yeah, I think for a build machine, it would it would make a, a a difference in terms of, or if you're building, if building was what you're doing, you know, all the time, that would make a huge yeah. difference. And and we do notice that. I mean, like you know, I know that with uh, when I was at TD Bank, we had you know a bunch of um, uh, M1 mini or minis that we used, and then when we switched to the M1s, we got significantly more uh, throughput. Like we, mm-hmm. like uh, what would take half an hour would take like twenty minutes now instead of. It wasn't like I couldn't really put a met like say specifically twenty five percent, but it was definitely faster. Yeah, yeah. So much so that it made sense to to make the investment. Right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, for your own machine, if it's long enough that you, that it interrupts what you're working on, then a twenty five percent improvement on that doesn't really help that much because it's once you've once you're distracted, once you're taken out of the context, it sort of doesn't matter. Unfortunately, now if it's two x, that's a, that's a difference, yeah, and that's a different story. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is between, like, according to between Apple, Jaime's Jaime, not, yeah. Yeah, 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 between Jaime's machine. Yeah, yeah. Jaime is yeah. so much slower than than everything else, right? That's right. why it's taking so long to respond to us today. <laughs> that's why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just the, the confluence of having uh, not the latest Wi-Fi spec plus, you know, Zoom and everything yeah. else just chewing up my CPU and GPU, plus plus the internet and all the tubes that are on the internet stuff like that. Yeah. It does make me wonder, um, you know, so they've got the uh, the M2 with the Max and stuff, if they're going to end up with an Ultra version. Um, I think when the M1 Ultra came out, I had proposed that it was like duct taping two Maxes together. If, mm. if I Literally was, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that definitely it was it was a it was the two of them. They just didn't bother cutting them apart or something like that, right? Or they designed it with with the bus that they just if they didn't cut it, it would two chips together would act as one kind of thing. That's that's what made the Ultra, and it was twice as wide. You're right. So th- this is like the Pro and the and the Max here are two separate chip designs, right? Um, specifically, one made to be better than this this the previous, right? Too bad we didn't have a chip expert on the show. Well, what's the question, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just saying, like, we were just talking about the architecture of, of the Ultra. Jaime had reminded me that it was like a Siamese twin, right? Because they had that Siamese connection in the middle, and, and they just didn't bother cutting the, the board apart. And since the two were connected, they acted as one big giant chip, right? Uh, whereas these Ultras, the uh, sorry, the Max and the Pro are designed as separately different. They're, they're from the layout different, right? Right. Well, remember, the way they manufacture these things is these things are all on the, the surface of a wafer. Yeah, exactly. And so you get a whole grid of chips in every case. So you can't you can't easily, well, I mean, you could in theory do this, but you wouldn't you wouldn't put like a, a, a M1, regular M1 and an M1 Max or an M1 Pro on the same on the same wafer because because uh, the way these things work is it, it, there's like there's a machine called a stepper, which you know patterns it in one spot, then it was the next spot, moves to the next spot. Yeah. Uh, so, but but what you could do is if you have if you want to have two copies of the same thing as one thing, it's it's still just doing that same stepping. Uh, and there's uh, there's a um, you know there's a there's a line there's a space in between each instance of the thing that you pattern where you normally just cut up the wafer and make your separate chips your or your die is out of it and so it just completely makes sense that if you wanted to have one have a chip that were equivalent to two die then you would just put them next to each other and you wouldn't cut it right i mean it's completely completely the right way to do it so yeah they're not doing anything super fancy there that's just yeah the way no, i just want, I want to see if i can find a picture of last year's chip um yeah to, to back up what Jaime was saying, because I remember, you know what I mean, Jaime, it was like, it was like two chips together, right? And they had that one sort of bus in the middle. Yeah, like, I, I think you described it quite well, where it seemed like they could just cut it there like a like a graham cracker. They just break them in half at the factory and toss yeah. them in one pile versus another pile, right? But that's what I'm saying, is they, they you know, they all start out that way. And it's it's just a matter of, when we're cutting this thing up, how do we cut it up? Do we want to make single die uh, maxes or do we want to make double die ultras yeah right yeah right yeah. exactly yeah. yeah and if and if they're smart if they were planning ahead then they would have accounted for that when they started so, it's so i remember here's a, here's a here's a question i have for you because i mean when i started you know was in the reseller days i had heard once that the difference between a 486 and a 386 was just the performance of the chip right like they would make a bunch of them and then they would test them and well, one, uh, between a 386 and the 486, I don't think or, so. Or is a 486X and a 486 plane or whatever? Yeah, like, that's that's for sure true. That's for sure true. Uh, we used to do that all the time. Everybody did that, where you'd have, whenever you manufacture anything, right, you get a distribution of of uh, of the of variables. The performances, right? uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, because... Yeah. With a with a transistor, let's say, uh, the amount of oxide thickness, you know, changes the performance 
an enormous amount, even if it's just an incredibly small uh, variation. And just normal manufacturing statistics gives you a certain variation in any of these parameters. So you get a certain variation in the performance. Uh, and it can be quite wide. You know, it can be 40, 50%, you know, just in standard, even with very tight manufacturing controls. So, you know, one thing you could do if you wanted to is like you could say, okay, we're only taking the ones at the peak and some tolerance around the peak. And that's what we get. And we just ship those and we throw away everything else. But, you know, that's not cost efficient because now what do you do with all the ones? And you have some that are much faster. You have some that are much slower. So another thing you could do is you could say, all right, well, instead of take, instead of centering around the peak, we could say, okay, we're going to, we're going to take the ones that are a certain percentage lower than the peak and all the ones that are a certain percentage higher than the peak and sell those as the slower version and the faster version. And then you have the standard right. version. Yeah. Or you have these yeah. chips go to Apple and these chips go to Dell, right? <laughs> no, no, no. They probably wouldn't do that because, because the circuit performance will depend on the chip performance, uh, pretty significantly. So you have to, if you you have to say this this chip that we're shipping you has a different spec with some tolerance, so right. you wouldn't right. send it, you wouldn't just send them to Apple unless unless you gave Apple a a guarantee that they're going to be at this faster level and you and and you get the you know the higher performance chip. I mean, yeah, you could you could choose to only send the high performance ones to Apple. That's true, but but more typically it would be like. Um, the you know 486x or 486 standard like you like you were saying where you, it would be very clear that this is a different product than this one and it has a certain set of specs and it has a certain design window around that performance that when you build your circuit you design around that that window sure cool yeah all right. Well, should we move on? So today they they announced this uh, this new Jaime's uh, favorite one and done HomePod, the original the OG HomePod. Uh, they've come out with an, uh, a version two of that. I don't know if you, you guys saw that today. Yeah. Maybe, did you have a yeah. Look? So interesting. It looks it's got the top sort of uh, L, or um, little color uh, screen on top like the the um, minis do, right? Uh, and you know, was, somebody joked today that they were going to cancel the mini, but they haven't. Um, and these work in the same way. We can make a stereo pair, and and they have more uh, better computational audio. Is it computational audio? Is that what they call it? Yep. Um, yeah, and and you know, much more. We we thought that they were done with this this style of um, HomePod, but it looks like looks like it's uh, obviously not not gone forever, right? Makes well, you wonder if minus. if yeah. last year or whenever it was that they supposedly got rid of them, if if just the new version wasn't ready yet, and so they delayed it. That's an interesting theory. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. uh, mm-hmm. you're right. They did. Uh, did they get rid of them? Yeah. Like we and they both these ones also support the uh, the um, uh, intercom thing and and it's a different speaker so I mean obviously I, I mean one of the questions that that might come across somebody's mind is that since it looks like the other one can you make a stereo pair with the original one and I would say probably not because that was the first thing I thought of because I have a couple of the old ones and I looked it up and yeah uh, conclusively no you cannot match them they, it does not work which kind of sucks right yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah and the they're I mean they're Yep. yep. Can you make a stereo pair with the minis? Nope. Nope. You can't. Okay. Nope. And you can't use the minis in con- yeah, cuz I have like on my HomePod TV or my TV down here, I have two uh two of the OGs and then we have what OG up in the kitchen and then we have a couple of minis throughout the house. So we have the whole intercom thing working and 
all that kind of stuff, right? And Siri still can't do half the things we ask her to do, but that's another story. <laughs> um, yeah. I, you guys ever tried to set timers on your on your HomePods? <laughs> I can barely get my HomePod to not cut out every 30 seconds these days. Really? Yeah, Whoa. it's pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, radio can be can be dodgy, but our radio comes through an app called TuneIn, right? Tune TuneIn Radio, yeah. So yeah, they have has trouble has trouble with you know with understanding. I, I guess our Canadian accents or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I know. For me, it's just it's just um, just using you know Apple Music. Mm-hmm. Just Same. it'll it'll play it'll play for a minute or two and then stop. And just stop. Yeah. Well, sometimes stop. the radio does that too, which is, but not music seems to be pretty, pretty consistent. Although, like, you got to complain that Carol, I get complaints from my number one user, which is Carol, that when she asks for a specific artist, it'll play like one or two songs by that artist. And then it starts playing stuff that's similar, but not the same. You know? Oh, yeah. Can, that, well, that's the algorithm, though, because what you're doing is it's creating a, a, a radio station or a channel for your artist. Yeah. yeah and they yeah. find things that are similar or that they think you're going to like and buy. What's, what's interesting is that Google doesn't do that and, and Amazon's Echo doesn't do that either. If you ask for a specific artist, it just, well, I, that's using Spotify, I guess, right? Hmm. Plays that one particular artist. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, we did, I did manage to get, I didn't figure out how to get Apple Music working on the, um, and then I figured out how to, you have to ask to, you know, specifically play, I forget what it, what the magic incantation is, but there is a way to get it to play just one artist for you. Which is kind of nice too. Can you do something like play such and such only? Well, if you say is play Steely Smart Dan, it'll play Steely Dan. If you say play Walter Becker, it'll play Walter Becker and Steely Dan. You know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, she she has some obscure, you know, Edge Casey kind of. Melody Gardo is somebody she listens to. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. Um, she's sort of a crooner. Um, but yeah, it has trouble just sticking to the playlist. <laughs> But I, I explained to her how to, I think I'm, I figured out how to get the playlist to work, and I said to her, you say it in this order, and then it, it plays just that one particular artist. Or you can ask her to play an album, if you know the name of the album, right? So anyway, so yeah, mm-hmm. this is looking good, do you think, Kwame? What do you think? You're the HomePod expert, I guess. Even though Yeah, I don't one. think I will upgrade mine, because mine is, is working pretty swimmingly uh, for what I ask it to do. But there are some things here that uh, that mine doesn't have that... If you're looking to to pick up a HomePod for the first time, you might consider like the temperature and humidity sensor, which are uh, part of the, you know, sort of do automation for your household kind of things. The example that I'm reading right here from uh, the Canadian HomePod site is with its built-in sensor, HomePod can detect and tell you the temperature and humidity of the room, and you can set it in automation so the blinds close if the temperature hits 25 degrees uh, Celsius, I'm assuming. Mm. Well, that's cool yeah yeah so that's that's useful right it's, okay. like, it's a nice quality yeah. of life thing I, I was gonna say i have a 20 dollar uh, alarm clock that does that too it has, it has humidity and temperature but it can't open the blinds really oh <laughs> huh. i bet it could if you connected it to like a smart plug right and making a matter a matter uh compatible smart plug yeah yeah that's an that's... interesting idea yeah because i i have um i have a nest uh, thermostat and it doesn't like it doesn't play nice with home with home kit right so i have to run a bri- uh, home home bridge app to run to get it to, anyway so i i just bought a google home or alexa and i use that to to manage i have a door camera that's a nest door camera as well um you know because you can't have you can't have one standard right you know although i i keep apple and google and amazon keep telling me that they're they're coming up with one standard right so we'll see so another thing that seems like a nice quality of life thing that is coming in a future update, and it's 
unclear from this website if it is only for the newest HomePod or if this will be available for older HomePods, is the HomePod securely listens for smoke and carbon monoxide alarms. If one of these sounds is identified, oh, really? you'll get a notification mm. on iPhone, mm. iPad, and Apple Watch. Which you might be wondering, well, what would you need that for? It's like, well, for one, I may not be... Uh, in the same sort of building, right? If you're out and about, you might want to know that, hey, uh, you're smoking. Your house is burning down. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Uh, while you're away. So that's for somebody like me who obviously is not hearing impaired. If you are hearing impaired, this is a nice quality of life thing too that like you don't have to see the actual blinking lights. You could be off in the kitchen. It's like, hey, yo, uh, your alarm just went off and it lets you know that quicker. So that's uh, uh, kind of a cool thing to do. Yeah. Could also work as like a baby monitor too. I don't know if there's software for that, but right if it hears the baby what if, crying, if the baby's getting too alarm. humid and hot or whatever. No, no, uh, it, no, no. This is with the with the smoke alarm. It's it's the sound, right? I'm being facetious, Mark. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I get yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. I could have sworn hey, Siri, I saw um, Apple Watch commercial just to that effect. Mark, is this oh, the thing oh, that really? exists oh. for the Apple Watch? Like, I think I saw. Oh, maybe. Okay. It was like a a, a mother who hearing impaired and she turns away and the baby starts crying she gets a little note on her watch to say hey it sounds like a baby may be crying she turns around and helps like a either uh, in a fever dream imagined that such a thing was plausible or maybe saw a commercial at some point like that um, on tv so is the watch itself detecting that so you have to be in the same room i Yes, yeah, I mean yeah. they, they seem like yeah. they were in, a, yeah. in an open concept kitchen, you know, mm-hmm. dining living room area, and I assume it was using the same kind of tech that the um, like the decibel noise uh, testing alarms can give you on the watch. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I have one uh, one last new thing for our our main part of the show here, and that is uh, just something real quick that I saw. Um, it's almost it almost could be a pick, but. You know, I'm a big fan of, of um, accessibility and supporting that kind of stuff. And uh, so this is a quick little post from about, about um, in SwiftUI, if you use uh, localizable strings in your file names that, or in the file name, then VoiceOver will actually read out that, uh, that name. So, for instance, if you have an image here in the example, uh, person.bicycle, then uh, that's what um, VoiceOver will say. VoiceOver will say person.bicycle. But you can also, inside your localizable strings file, you, if you put a, a, a human-readable or voiceover-readable string for that person.bicycle and make it equal to person on a bicycle, that is what, in fact, voiceover will say. That's kind of a new, nice new addition or discovery that uh, just came out um, in December, to my mind, anyway. So, All right, let's move on to our picks. Uh, I have a few... Yeah, this is kind of an interesting one. It's just improved console output, uh, and it's sort of a, a graphic. Um, I don't figure. I don't know what you call this kind of style, where it's not really uh, <laughs> words. It's it's images in terms of how to explain things. But what's cool about this is a, a little tool that you can do inside of. If you go to your preferences in Xcode, go to themes, and click on console, you'll see the you know how you you know how you can change the 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 fonts that are available in your in your system. You can go in and choose the con- debugger console output prompts uh, and change the color to it's a different so it's a different color than the standard green that you get with the console or you can and you can put in the output and put like change it to an, like an orange font so that when the you're at a breakpoint or you're doing a you know PO or whatever inside the console you'll see the the stuff 
inside there in a different color rather than all in one color. It makes it a lot more legible and easier to find. So that's kind of a cool little tip. That's uh, from Xcode Tips. And that's my first pick. And my second pick is uh, from um, Oli Begaman. He uh, has written a, a piece here on SwiftUI view lifecycles. We've talked about this in the past on the show in terms of how the, the view is, you know, created and generated and modified as you as you use the app. So this is an interesting article. He's built a, a code, uh, built an, a demo app that runs on iOS or on Mac, and it goes through the different sort of uh, parts that are pl- that the uh, the view plays. And so he talks about how the SwiftUI um, code creates like a view tree, and then what uh, Chris Idoff is calling a render tree. Uh, the the view tree is sort of the the template for how you a Swift UI will build the view, and then the render tree is the actual pieces that it puts into the tree when it's when it's you're running um, and creating the view based on what's going on. And it talks a little bit here about view life cycles and state and what happens to the to the state objects and stuff like that when the view gets destroyed. Um, other little things like um, the scroll, how scroll views work. Uh, how navigation stacks with you know using using on appear and on disappear kind of calls as well. So take uh, sort of putting some of the techno some of the technical information into how Swift UI views work, it, so that you know those of us who don't go down that sort of path can get a better idea of how things are working. So I'm not kind of I don't know if you've had a look at this article. There's some interesting info here that is sort of non obvious, like. Uh... On appear isn't necessarily called when the state is created. It can happen later, but never earlier. So being real, real clear on that is, uh, and the stats on that is kind of uh, an interesting. Instead, this is an app, right? You can just get on this off GitHub, probably. Yeah, you can. Yeah, I'm trying to trying to figure out what what his app actually does. It lays out what you, the screenshots that you see there, like the it it shows the different uh, views, and as you tap through it, it kind of explains what is happening on it. Like he, explains what it's showing you on the screen as it's showing to showing yeah, it to you okay so it's an instructional thing yeah yeah i haven't actually pulled it out and played with it but yeah i, I kind of read through the article and it makes it makes kind of cool you know share it with people that, that i think need to know this kind of stuff so or would like to know it mm-hmm. that's pick number two uh pick number uh three is a really quick one swift ui has added tap location so now if you're if you're working with an app and you want to ca- capture where on the screen somebody's tapping um this uh tap uh there's a tap gesture record location tap gesture location um uh way of accessing that and, and figure out where somebody's tapping on a screen kind of thing if you want to capture that that's cool it's a quick little article here this is I'll a have, this yeah. is a useful thing this is starting yeah. to take swift ui out of the realm of you can only lay out like lists and grids and things and actually do more freeform designs, which was always the problem with SwiftUI from the beginning, that it was hard to do freeform designs. So, yeah. Yeah, very like that one. Cool. And uh, this is another one. This is sort of a, this is my last, or my next pick is on, uh, it's doing static analysis on iOS. Um, I was, you know, as I joined a new team and coming into it, I'm not really familiar with the code base. I'm not really sure what kind of, um, Security testing that is being done on the app, and one of the one of the things that that uh, we used to do all the time at uh, the bank was we would do penetration testing before any release to make sure that you know we were using safe coding practices and we hadn't left any uh, strings or loose ends in the app. We hadn't done any um, sort of you know hadn't done anything that that would jeopardize our users and our app. And and you know if it's something that you're concerned about, 
There's a uh, free framework called MobSF, and there's an article here I'm linking from from Medium on how to use it, how to set it up. Um, and what it does is uh, you create a, a it runs in a lo- on your local machine. You drop your either your um, IPA or your APK if you want to test an Android app, and it will go through and give you a, a, a resulting static analysis of what is going on in your app, and it gives you a big report on you know kind of different things that can be that can be left open and let you know what the vulnerabilities that you may or may not have in the app. Um, so if you're looking for a sort of DIY uh, penetration test that you can do yourself just to, you know, so you can sleep at night, um, I recommend uh, this uh, pretty cool. It's a pretty cool app. You, run, you create a Docker instance and you run it in Docker on your local machine and um, has a little web, web page you upload the stuff to and it gives you a report. I ran it on a couple of Let's see if I've got a couple examples here. I, I did run it on some of my own apps just to be sure, like, you know, like a device tracker or PyD countdown, just to see what, what was going on in my apps. And it's pretty insightful. I mean, some of the things, I did have a follow-up conversation with Rob Napier, who's uh, another security expert that I've uh, seen talk at in various places, and, and he does a lot of uh, common sense talks. So maybe I'll link to one of his uh, latest pieces, but he does a lot of common sense stuff. So I asked him about some of the, some of the results that came back um, in our app, uh, in, in my app, and some of the apps that I work with, and uh, he kind of like you know set me straight as to whether what was important, what wasn't really important. So, but that said, without doing the penetration test yourself, you really don't know where you stand. So, kind of a cool, cool little tool um, that you can run yourself using Mob SF. It runs on Android. It does a few more things than it does on Android or so iOS, but. It does run on iOS, which is uh, will analyze your iOS apps as well. I mean, it's it's kind of cool to be able to run these sorts of things yourself as a sort of gut check on a lot of these things. I think there's the yeah. um, oh, what is that? What is that group called? I'm sure it's probably mentioned in our culture. Probably should look. Is it Wasp? OWASP? Something like that. OWASP. Yeah. O O W A S P. Thank you. Whatever their acronym Open stands web, for, that is something. impossible yeah. to answer without machines that can search for content <laughs> live. Um, regardless, you know they come out with their like top ten vulnerabilities, and year to year they don't really change that much, right? Um, I, I think sort of every five years, every ten years, you can kind of see them drift. But the sort of basic things that uh, the low-hanging fruit that attackers are looking for. Um, I like having these kinds of tools to, you know, make sure you don't have these kinds of things. Will it protect you against uh, exotic things? Will it protect you against uh, nation-state level kind of attacks? I would say probably not, but your threat model is probably not, you know, uh, I'm the, the head of state of a of a nation and probably more like, you know, I don't want people breaking my app just for giggles or because they're trying to use it to uh, mine crypto or steal credentials or something. So the reality is if you're if you are like if you're running a financial app or or, you know, you're, you are running a Bitcoin wallet or something like that, you definitely want to spend the money on, on a proper penetration test. And that's where the actual, where actual ethical hackers will try and break into your app. They'll try and decompile it. I'll try and look through all this stuff. And this sort of what this app does, or this this process does, it goes through it, but it doesn't really go at a deep level. Um, you can actually have people who will do hands-on testing, but, you know, the budget for that is like anywhere from, I mean, you might be looking at anywhere from 5000 to $20,000 per test. So, yeah, I mean, 
this is this is not going to cost you a nickel <laughs> but you know it's it's a starting point at least right you can start having the conversation with your teams and that kind of stuff and then as a real-time follow-up uh, OWASP is it's like o and then wasp like a bug uh, it's open web application security project and it, it's been around for it's obviously there for web as well as for uh, mobile apps as well and they, they they've come together and they create tools and resources and education on you know good coding practices and that kind of stuff so yeah if your team is you know you can also do um, education stuff for your team to to bring their their knowledge their security knowledge up as well right and one more I've got two more and one this one is uh, uh, called Git Ignore. I was setting up a new project the other day, and I was, you know, I have, you know, I tend to go into my Git Ignore file for each Xcode project because you don't want to, you don't need to, you know, com- um, store the workspace and all your prefer- your personal preferences and your breakpoints and stuff like that into your GitHub code or your GitHub repository. So you know, you set up a Git Git Ignore file for that purpose to tell it to what files to ignore. And so I have a, a, a standard one that I kind of just drag, you know, I copy it from one previous project to another but i found this site the other day called gitignore.io um you can go in there you can tell it what application you're working with whether it's wordpress or xcode or swift or whatever and it will create a standard um based on you know work that other people have done but it'll create you a standard xcode uh, gitignore file for example that will ignore all the stuff that xcode sort of puts into your project automatically that again doesn't need to be backed up to your and and share it to your team. That way you're not going to clobber somebody else's settings and that kind of stuff. So gitignore.io. Uh, that's from top to It's pretty cool. Yeah, and you can combine things too. It's it's not like you just enter in one. So uh, I, I did one for just Xcode, and that's it. All right, well, realistically, uh, you're going to use Xcode on macOS and good old .ds underscore store. Uh, the big yeah, of my yeah. existence, <laughs> always forget about that. Um, this is one of those bookmark tools of just, you know, type in what your, your tool set is, and this will give you, as far as I can tell, a pretty sensible uh, git ignore, so you can not have the, whoops, here's the cleanup for the initial commit of my repo kind of stuff. It even does, like, Swift Package Manager, too. Yeah, like, it won't put my, my XE user data in there. It won't put, you know, XE checkout. It won't, it won't, parts of the internal parts of the Xcode project, it won't bother, um putting in there as well and then if i think if i put swift in it put in more than just xcode yeah so if you put swift in it puts a whole bunch of stuff in it it'll ignore packages it'll ignore playground files you know uh it'll ignore carthage and and uh, coco pods if you're using those actually it doesn't doesn't um automatically uh, put them in it put, gives you the comments and then you can uncomment in the, li- the lines that you need for that right because you, you need to put in obviously it's not going to be able to dynamically know what um, cocoa pods you've got in or package or swift packages you're using you have to do some manual work but but it is pretty quick at um at sort of doing that kind of stuff right dsims doesn't put those in doesn't put the actual ipa in as well right you know, i don't know why you would store that in your work project folder but you know it, it covers your butt and my last one and this might take a, a bit more time to go through but uh, I'm curious about Xcode Cloud, and we've talked about Xcode Cloud in the past, and this tutorial came out in December. I went through it the other day because I was curious about it, because um, I'm you know, comparing it to like BitRise, which I'm currently using in my, in my working life, and I wanted to see what the difference was with Xcode Cloud. So I grabbed this uh, tutorial here, um, and it walks you through uh, starting off. This is the project I was talking about that I started up new. 
Uh, it creates this little, it gives you this sample code for his coffee application. Um, and then he goes through how to um, set up Xcode or set up Xcode Cloud with this, with this app. And the problem is in his tur- tutorial, he's called the app Coffee, but you know, you need to give it a unique name. So I put like Coffee Tim Metro 1234, for example, uh, is, is how I named it. And, and what I found was it was a few little areas that it didn't like, is it, it will archive the app, it'll do the unit tests, and it'll do the UI tests if you have them in your app as well. And a bunch of other things that it can do as well, screenshots and marketing and all that kind of stuff. But, um, and this is this is based on the Buddy Build uh, thing that we talked about in uh, previous years, right? And it's a slightly different. Buddy Build was a bit easier to set up than Xcode Cloud, is to be honest with you. Um, so you create your, create your repository, you create your project. Uh, I did have some problems with some of the naming uh, of my UI tests. Like they wouldn't run locally and then... If they ran locally, they wouldn't run on on Xcode Cloud. So I went. I figured out how to go back in, and and I, you know, sort of took it one next level, and I created a project with the proper name, and then went through and and got it to work properly for me. So it's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. It's very similar to BitRise in that you know you you set it up, uh, you set it to archive your app, uh, you can set it to push to to test flight, which I've done as well. Uh, you know, you add your internal testers inside of Xcode. In Xcode test flight, or sorry, uh, App Store Connect test flight, and then um, every time you do a commit, or every time, sorry, every time you push a commit up to, or push a, yeah, yeah, push a commit up to the to GitHub, it interface it integrates with your GitHub. Um, the daemon actually check takes uh, the the build, takes it, moves it over to Xcode Cloud, builds it, runs it, runs the tests for you, runs the you know archives the app puts it up to test flight and pushes the test flight build out to your users, which is, so it's kind of cool, like from an end to end point of view, if you were on a relatively small team and you wanted to give it a shot, you know, um, it's kind of cool. So it, it is trying to compete with tools like BitRise um, and other tools that do that kind of stuff. I don't know if, if anybody's done like a hand built one, you know, like I know one of the jobs I worked at in the previously, they had Jenkins workflow with, you know, Bitbucket and all this other kind of stuff, all all connected and doing similar things. But yeah, it's kind of a once you set it up, as Tommy was saying earlier, when we were talking about uh, with Runway, it kind of it kind of automates a lot of those sort of uh, everyday processes that you that you would have to you know you don't have to think about it anymore, just kind of do it, right? That's so kind of cool. Have you guys had a chance to look at Xcode Cloud at all? I have not. I have not either. Keeping my yeah. eye on it though. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And and as we, I think we mentioned, I think until the end of this year, you get 25 hours per month um, for free. And oh, and also when you go into into um, App Store Connect, you can also see the your usage of this tool. So just playing around with this tutorial, I probably did like 10 or 15 commits, pretty small code base. Um, I probably, I don't think I've used 30, 30 minutes, you know, as an example. And that's playing around with it for like a couple of days, right? So yeah, that's cool. That's the end of my picks, and then we're gonna throw over to Jaime for uh, a little bit of levity. Yeah, um, this is called How to Professionally Say. It's a website put together by uh, I saw the name somewhere, Akash uh, Rajpohar, and it has a concept of here is what you would feel like saying, but this is what you would probably want to say instead to uh, maintain uh, some professionalism. And, you know, we're all human. It can be really tough. But let me give you some examples that I happen to save here. Uh, if you feel like saying, 
you are wasting my time, you might want to consider saying, being respectful of time, let's regroup when more details become available. Or how about, um, did you even read my email? Uh, There's some alternatives. You could say, uh, reattaching my email to provide further clarity, or perhaps uh, I'll provide an update when I have one. Um, And maybe one of my favorites here, uh, for no particular reason, is uh, that meeting sounds like a waste of my time. Instead of saying that, you should probably say, I'm unable to add value to this meeting, but I would be happy to review the minutes. And uh, it's a nice little website where you can you can search for this. You can um, favorite them and filter by your favorites. You can even print the thing and put it on your wall where nobody can see it on camera. <laughs> you just right, yeah. let your eyes uh, sort of roll over to the side and, and glance to the side and, and be able to, to read from your little script. Uh, it's, uh, it's cute. Yeah. So if you, if you want to say, I, to- I totally forgot about your email, you can say, thank you for your patience. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or here, how about this one? I couldn't. I couldn't care less. I defer to your judgment on this, as I am not passionate either way, and trust your expertise. That's funny. I think I tend to say uh, I don't have any strong opinions on that. So. Yeah, yeah. I'll do I'll, whatever it's, Android uh, said. I'll, I'll go with that. Yeah. You know, it's it's uh, open source, so you can always contribute your own uh, your own options on. Oh, really? Okay. Like. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Looks like he's got like a little. Uh, little json structure or now someone should connect this to chat uh, chat gpt and see what they come up with as yeah true. when you type in the thing you want to say if they can translate it to something more <laughs> yeah. office correct <laughs> chat gpt tell this jerk to read my stupid emails but like do it professionally <laughs> that's the prompt <laughs> how about i don't believe you i'm not confident in the information you provided is correct you know, I think Mark's on the right path there because he's actually got a right idea. So this, if I were to look at the flaws of this pick that I've chosen here, and that they're they're fairly generalized, they're not context specific. So what you do need is additional context for you know the AI to understand. Well, is this person your peer? Are they your superior? Are they technically not in your command hierarchy? But like. They sort of vaguely have influence over this area. Like those are realistic things that uh, that people run into. That sure would be nice to offload that to the the Chat GPTs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not using like natural language processing in the search because if you if you type in a specific word and it's used in the in either the the comment or the question, then it'll uh, it'll find it. But if you try and put something like um, dances instead of dancing, it won't uh, won't find it. Too bad. Pull requests accepted, Tim. So you're right. If you put in overcomplicate <laughs> instead of overcomplicating, it's clear that it's doing exact word search and not word stemming, as uh, I've learned that yeah. it was called. Where you, oh, you take a word and, and take the, the alternate forms there. of it. Word stemming. I'll have to work that into the title of the show, I guess, right? I guess that's it for another show. Uh, so, Jaime, if people can get in touch with you, where would they find you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. Are you on Mastodon yet? I'm not. I am and waiting to see and and longtime listeners of the show know that I, I pick and choose what I'm early adopter on. So on on some topics I'm like, mm, I'll let y'all millions of y'all be the, the guinea pigs for things like uh, new iOS releases or etc. For things that require sort of a, a critical mass of folks, I'm not going to be an early adopter and still not an early adopter of, of Mastodon. I'm 
sort of seeing which way the wind is blowing as uh as uh you know the the owner of Twitter runs around chewing cables in the office to see what breaks uh as somebody once said um and haven't yet committed to moving to Mastodon although I am keeping an eye on things like uh Ivory that work in progress app from the tapbot folks tweetbot folks Hey Mark, if people want to get in touch with you, where would they find yeah, you? Yeah, Mark R at Mapsoft.com because I don't put my future in the hands of some insane billionaire. Maniac, <laughs> yeah. My name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. You can also find me on Instagram and you can also find me on Mastodon. You can also find me on YouTube with that handle. So yeah, until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fireside.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends, leave a comment on the website, or write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so use the hashtag AskMTJC and we may mention you on the show. Friends of the show can also join us on the podcast Slack channel. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on Patreon.com slash MTJC. Every dollar pledged helps a lot. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. So what were you saying about what happened today with the, with, is it Donald Trump we're talking yeah. about? Or no, it's not Donald Trump, yeah. the other guy. The other no, guy. Trump. Trump is back on. He's on? Yep. What? Yep. On Twitter? Trump today. Yep. Oh, wow. Mm. Well, I, I would never know because I've had a Trump filter on my Twitter account since 2016, so. Well, I don't know how much she's posted, but it's, as of today, he's, he's officially allowed back. Well, isn't, isn't Parlor or whatever, Parlor, par, is it Parlor, is it called Parlor? Is it supposed to be Parlay, but Parlor? It was originally supposed to be Parlay, but because a lot of dumb people used it, they changed it to Parlor. Parlor? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's like uh, the restaurant in the States. Uh, it's Pret-a-Manger, but um, I think you guys say Pret-a-Manger. Who says that? You guys familiar with that? How do you say Pret-a-Manger? Pret-a-Manger. <laughs> Even with my okay. terrible French accent, I still... Do you, do you put your little pinky up when you say it? No. No, it's just funny because I, I, when I first started working in Chicago, um, yeah, I heard somebody said it once, and I went, no, it's Pret-a-Manger, you know? Yeah, there used to be a restaurant around here called uh, Boulanger, and people would call it Boulangers. Oh, okay. Boulangers. Boulangers? Yeah, adding yeah, an yeah, S yeah. to the end, of course, where there's no S. <laughs> well, that's true. Like, I, I, I do, I play with that. Like, I call Rogers, like, Rogers, you know? Yeah. It makes it seem well, much more Tarje is less, the classic. Less painful. Classic one. Tarje, right. Yes. Tarje. Tarje. Yeah. Well, Tarje is spelt Tarje in French as well, en français. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the reason for not going, that, that would be your reason for not, for switching to Mastodon, is that Trump, I'm sure Trump can get on Mastodon if he wanted. I don't see any reason why. I mean, you can block people on Mastodon. That's, I guess that's the, the side benefit of it, whereas, you know, you don't have any control over that stuff on uh, on the bird side, as, as they're calling it. Are you asking me? I don't use any of them. Yeah. <laughs>
general. <laughs> he has no skin in the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. How quickly you forget. So, have you heard the news that with the uh, the gens, not the Gen Z, but what's after Gen Z now, whatever they're called, alphas. Yeah, the hot new thing now is to get old flip phones because you can take them with you and not have access to social media. And so you're oh, wow, so you're really? more in the real world. Yeah. This is the new thing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, I heard there was a new app today that that the kids are all getting on, but I didn't, I didn't get a chance to look it up. You know, that's that's Tammy's been saying that she wants to get a a, a stick and a piece of string and get rid of her, her smartphones, yeah. right? She she's got it uh got it down pat. I think that was the name of one of her episodes one. Yeah, I feel like yeah. some of that uh along with the uh, the physical Instagram for Polaroid stuff coming back and uh, vinyl records and etc. feels like uh, some some retro. I, I, it's hard to call it nostalgia because some of these folks were not alive when these things had their heyday. So it's yeah, vicarious nostalgia, I suppose, um, or perhaps a backlash against being hyper connected in a digital world where nothing feels real and here's this tangible thing that you can do something with, or here's this thing that limits all of the sore points that you have, like the, I assume, Nokia phones that they're getting. Or yeah. Dark Star Tags, right, those Motorola ones. Oh, the, the, the very first the flip, ones? Those the flip phones. Right? I just got rid of all my flip phones. Hmm. Did it have to be a flip phone, or just can it be like any, because on, on, it's funny, I noticed on, um, uh, what was it called? Um, the Last of Us, he was using a Nokia phone at the very beginning of it, right? Yeah, because I think it opens up in like 2003. So, yeah, t- uh, was it 2003? Is that when the show starts? Uh, technically, the first scene is 1968, but for for Joel, oh, is it? it's, it's oh. 2003, and then stuff happens 20 years later to bring it to 2023. So that would make sense. What happens be... in 1968? Hmm? What happens in 1968? They they in show the show? scientists yeah. talking about the the fungus. Oh, stuff. the two guys sitting in the chair. Yeah, sort of yeah, the, the yeah, premise yeah. for the show. Um, right. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. But the good old Nokia's, uh, you know, where they've you know they're built like a brick, indestructible, and yeah. have like yeah. a weak battery life, uh, a week long, and not weak as in weak and strong, but as in a week long, several days battery life. Remember there was a trend for a while that where phones, cell phones were getting smaller and smaller and smaller, whereas there used yeah. to be these ones that were like an inch long and half an inch wide. It was your phone. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you could lose it. Yeah, yeah. Like a little like a candy yeah. bar, stick of gum kind of phones. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really hard to play games on those, though. Yeah. But you could. Or and write an email. A snake game? Yeah, or write an email, yeah. yeah. Or surf the internet, even. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, remember, what was it called? The WAP browser? W-A-P? The text-based browser. No, I don't remember. Days. I had a fr- I had a friend who used to like. He used to love his BlackBerry. He could throw it across the room and it would survive, right? Whereas you know, you throw an iPad ten feet and it's broken, right? <laughs> Same guy would throw his iPad out of his car when he got frustrated. But mm. what else is going on? What's been happening in your lives? How's your COVID? Who's Who's COVID? Who's COVID? You have COVID? Somebody? I had it. But I had it, it last summer. Like, it's just it's like cold. Yeah. yeah. Well, we went to Ireland. Did I tell you about going to Ireland since we've been talking? I think so. I last time we did that. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we ended up getting COVID on the way back. Mm. Yeah. That so was, you know, a couple of us were, you know, 
not feeling well, but I, I for me it was like sniffles and a bit of sinus pain and a little bit of coughing and that kind of stuff. But it yeah, just felt like a cold. I had a sinus infection for about a week, and that was about it. Yeah, well, I mean that's how I manifest when I have a cold anyway. Right, like I start some of my sinuses, and it moves into my throat, and then into my chest, and yeah. then it's gone. Right, so. I, I kind of wonder if when I have had it, if I also had a cold at the same time that I had COVID, and the symptoms well, yeah. were just the cold, not the COVID. Well, it could be. I mean, it could yeah. be that it's it's uh, suppressing your yeah. r- your immune response. Yeah, right? exactly. So, yeah, yeah. Or I mean, yeah, that, go. that, or actually increasing your immune response, right? Because that's what that's what the symptoms are are your immune response, right? Yeah. When your nose yeah. is running, all that that's that is your immune response. But yeah, but it can make you weaker when you. It can make you more susceptible to catching something, and then you get a immune response in in response to that. Yeah. yeah. Well, we had to wait for our, our the the new booster. We I think we can go get it now because it's been um, I think we had to wait six months or something before we could get it because we had the infection, right? Mm. Yeah. It has to do with the effic- efficacy of the vaccine, right? Mm-hmm. This is the uh, the covalent one, which is Omicron. Yeah, yeah. The, the the new shiny one because apparently now the Seattle Kraken variation is the new one, right? <laughs> the Kraken version now. The the yeah, there's um, a Kraken version now. Carol the, told me uh, today. Star Wars droid one, the XBB.1.5. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> the Xcode you know, zip archive. Uh, like, oh crap! I have 1.3. One dot five. Okay, got it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's the one. I'm wondering if we're going to be yeah. in the U.S. on a yearly cycle and settle into that kind of like the flu shots. I'm looking at oh, my. I think so. Mm. Yeah, I think it's, so. Looks like September of 2022 was the most recent one, the bivalent one. Um, yeah. And since I've not heard anything coming up for spring or summer, I assume it'll be right around fall. Mm. Have you had the fourth booster or whatever it is? Second booster, Jaime? Uh, hold on. It gets complicated. So since it was Pfizer all the way through, had the first two shots. One of the boosters, although it did not qualify for one of them because I wasn't old enough and didn't have any um, uh, uh, comorbidities of any sort, pre-existing conditions. So it wasn't until September that I ended up getting the what would have been fourth for me, but fifth possible if you know you meet all the right conditions. Hmm. You've had them all, Mark. I've had all of them. I've lost track of how many there are by this time point. By this point, but uh, I've had them all. Yeah, thankfully our our app um we have a health health card oh, yeah. thing or I can check wallet. my wallet. Let's see. That's exactly what I did. I just went into my my Apple wallet passbook and just double checked my vaccination card. Yeah, I think I've had four, but I don't know you can look on the back, right? Oh that's interesting. I got a new phone and it didn't migrate my Vex card. I'll have to import it again. again. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's all pretty secure. Yeah, so it may be recoverable through Apple Health, but I don't recall if that's true or not, or if you have to uh, go through I think the provider. You just scan the barcode, again. right? Yeah. It puts it back in. Yeah, should be able to scan, uh, scan the barcode. Yeah, so I, I've had four. I'm I'm looking for my fifth one now. So my third booster, the new fancy fancy shiny booster with the Apple logo on it. I mean, if you get two two vaccines, can you make like a stereo pair with them? Yeah, <laughs> you know. I would be okay with having sets of two of those home pods if you could connect multiple sets up to make like a surround sound, like 7.1 kind of thing. 
You know what I want to do? I have I have a downloaded copy of, and I don't know if it works or not, but I have a downloaded copy of the quadraphonic version of Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah. But I have nothing to listen to it on. Right. Right. You know? I don't have, like, I don't have, I mean, I guess I, I guess I could try it on my surround sound stereo, but yeah, I don't know if, I don't know how that, is it like five and one or whatever, but you know, back in, back when that version came out, it, you had to have four speakers, you know, and a, and a quadraphonic stereo. It's like all the, like, you know, uh, like the people who bought the 3D, 3D televisions that don't do anything yeah. anymore, right? Like that wasn't a fad. No, it's, I haven't, I can't see the barcode yet. Oh crap. It sent me the barcode on my phone. That's not useful. That's not useful at all. Let me drop try to airdrop it to your iPad. I airdrop the file to your iPad. Yeah. Well, okay. I have the, uh, the text message they sent me with the link in my messages on the Mac so I can do that. That's, I think that's kind of cool. I don't know if you've ever done that with, with one password. If you open a QR code on a screen on your Mac and then you open and you want to do like the two factor authentication thing on the same Mac, if you open one password, it will find the QR code on one of your open windows without having to navigate to that window. Have you ever tried that? Say it again. If you like, if you go to a website and they give you a QR code for two factor authentication, they yeah. say, like here, scan this QR code, right? Yeah. And you have the one person, one password app on the Mac, the same Mac. You just go to the one password, go to the, to the record you want to update, click on two factor authentication or, you know, one time password. And it will scan all the windows on your Mac to find the QR code without you having to navigate yeah, to that QR code. That's pretty cool. Super handy. That's smart bit of engineering, you know, if you think about it. They're just, I mean, they're just looking at the open windows on the Mac, right? And just navigating. Because, I mean, I don't know if, what you guys know about Unix environments, but, you know, you've always been able to have multiple windows open. And wherever your cursor hovered over to would, be the act, would become the active window and would, without bringing it to the front, like we have to do on Mac, right? You could actually type in that screen, like you know, how you can scroll on a screen that's not uh, the front frontmost window. Yeah, yeah. Well, you could type and interact with that screen on a Unix system without navigate, without actually bringing that window to the front. So it's kind of the same sort of idea. It's just looking at all the looking at the, the window group and finding one that has a QR code that hopefully matches the QR code. You don't open two at once. I wonder what would happen if you did that. Looks like looks like I've had three boosters after the initial two shots, so I've had five shots. Yeah, that sounds about right, because I was under the the age limit, so out of five possible, I've only had four. Yeah, so I had the first two a month apart, and the first booster was six months after that. Second booster was six months after that. Third booster was only five months after that. I got it early, I guess. But it's now been four months since then, so I'm getting to be due for another one if they... If that's a thing, come up with one. I don't know. Well, you have to wait for the Kraken Kraken variation to come out. Yeah, well, you can, you you should be able to get the same one again, right? Um, just yeah, to get to, just to get a, a booster. Oh, to get a top up. Yeah, yeah. What you mean? Yeah. Well, speaking of important things, you got to see uh, Jeff Beck with Johnny Depp. I did get to see Jeff Beck two months before he died. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Eh? Yeah. Hmm. Um, was it a good show? It was or? an amazing show. Unbelievable show. I mean, there was there were. No sign he had any medical issues at all. And I guess he didn't at the time. No, it's a, it a virus or he had yeah, meningitis or something. Yeah, right? bacterial. So that just comes on real fast. Yeah. So he was fantastic. I mean, even even the Johnny Depp stuff was pretty good. Johnny Depp kind of came out for maybe like a third of the show. Maybe not even, maybe a quarter of the show. Um. So yeah, so he went out, Beck went out there at the beginning, played 
it was all everything he did was um instrumental as usual and yeah so he played a good half the show instrumental then johnny depp came out for like i said a third or a quarter and then johnny depp left and ben beck did the ended the show with like some kind of standard you know stuff that you'd expect big hits yeah Yep. Yeah, well, if you can call them big hits. <laughs> well, Freeway Jam. Freeway Jam, Because We Ended As Lovers. Yeah, blow by Blow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah, fantastic show. Really sad. Really sad. Yeah, I actually, I actually, I think uh, it was one of the times I went to a concert by myself. I, I can't remember if I got, like, tickets from an actual scalper. Huh. Um, but this is back in 2010. I went and looked it up, because I still have the t-shirt, right? And, uh-huh. um, and I have a ticket stub or whatever, but... Um, it was Eric Clapton and Jeff Beck, right? Mm. So, and they didn't play in the Yardbirds at the same time because right. Clapton left the Yardbirds and then um, Jeff Beck joined after him. But, um, so I think I, I missed the first bunch of songs because that was Jeff Beck's set and then Eric Clapton came out and did a bunch. Uh. And I, I, it's one of the first times I actually recorded anything with my iPhone because I actually have um, some of the, uh, some of the music on video uh, on my phone, but then I also used the video, the voice memo app to record a couple of songs. And then they two, the two of them came out and played a couple of, couple of yards, yardbird songs together. Oh. Right. Yeah. So it was kind of cool. They did, um, shape of things and, but like, you know, Copton did like, you know, um, uh, what's the heaven song? Um, if I see you Tears in, heaven. in heaven, Tears in heaven. Yeah. And, and he did, uh, I shot the sheriff, which I, I had the 45 of that when I was a kid. um, and a bunch of and a bunch of the sort of uh, unplugged blue stuff that he does. So yeah, it was really really cool. And you know, like I was sitting on the opposite end of the arena from him. Like it was at at uh, Scotiabank Arena, and I couldn't be further away from the stage if I tried. And it was still a, an amazing show. Yeah. So I I can say I got to see Jeff Beck because my favorite album by Jeff Beck is the Jan Hammer Group album. The live. Oh album. really? Yeah. yeah. That's my favorite. Oh, I, that and Truth. I like Truth. Too. Truth is very yeah. First. So, it is. Well, Truth and Blow by Blow, I think, are his best, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, have I think I have all of those too. And yeah, I mean, even even that, even though Rod Stewart is a singer, I mean, it still it still sounds good. No, no, right? no, no, he was a, had... Rod Stewart was a great blues singer. I mean, he got all. Oh, I know, I know. Yeah, I, I I totally get that. But yeah, I think he kind of went over the, the deep end in the in the two thousands or nineties, yeah. I guess. Yeah, right? yeah. But yeah, before he was big, he was great. Some of some of the some of the stuff that he did with um, Ron Wood on faces. Um, small faces, yeah, small faces, yeah, yeah. like I, his version of maybe MMAs or their version of maybe MMAs, and a couple of um, uh, faces songs that they did, which are really good too. There, there's, and there's a there's a BBC they did a, a, like a show at BBC back in the day, and it's probably one of the best live performances of that group, you know, including that that cover of McCartney cover. Well, for future reference, don't try to upload an iphone photo to slack because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's spinning and spinning and spinning oh maybe my network is just slow i guess but yeah i, I upload funds the images to slow my on my phone all the time huh. to slack in fact the, the images i sent you guys um yesterday were from my phone saying i'm on wi-fi i don't know why it's taking so long i guess it depends on are, are you doing like a screenshot or I don't know, it was a picture I took with the camera. Yeah, okay, so those sometimes end up in that, I forget the the other format that they use that is... Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and sometimes it seems like Slack, whatever process it's using to deal with those, hangs 
uh, every once in a while. Not not consistently. Hmm. It's not an every time thing, but it just sort of randomly decides whatever, or maybe it's iOS that's got something that breaks every once in a while in, in handling that. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I can cancel and try again. Or airdrop it to my laptop and see how that works. Yeah, that was like instantaneous. Okay, so let me try to... I mean, that that was like literally just like less than a second. Hmm. So it's definitely... And now let me bring it into Slack on the Mac. And it definitely is an HEIC um, file. Okay, Slack says it's processing uploaded file. Oh, and that took... Yeah, that took no time. Oh, but I haven't tried to send it yet. Let me try to send it. Okay. Well, look, there's an image coming from Mark. I mean, what do you know? <laughs> yeah, see, so... Oh, you had good yeah. teeth. Wow. Did you do the exact same process that you tried to do before? Uh, so the first time, I did it directly from my phone, just sharing to Slack. Yeah. The second yeah. time, I airdropped to my desktop and then just drag and dropped it into Slack on my desktop. And it took, like, no time at all on the desktop. Weird. Wow. So where, you're sitting pretty close to the stage? Um, not as close as it looks, actually. Uh, this oh, is just how good the iPhone it? is. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah. I was reasonably pro- close. I was maybe 15 rows out. Yeah. But yeah, it looks like I'm right there behind the monitor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is a bit, it's a bit uh, fuzzy, but yeah, it's a good shot. Is he wearing glasses? Uh, no, I don't think so. Like an old guy? Yeah. With a shadow, I guess? I don't think so. Cool. I have other pictures. Let me check. I need to have my glasses to, to see, of course. <laughs> oh, maybe he is. Hmm. Yeah, I think he is, actually. All right, let me try this one. I'll do the same procedure. This is great podcast stuff. Yeah. Should we uh, sign off and stop recording? Yeah, let's do that. I'm going to stop recording. Okay.